The views in this podcast are the participants' own and are not the views of their respective companies. Welcome to Aerox's The Legacy Life, the podcast asking, what does a career in runoff insurance or reinsurance actually look like? I'm your host, Katie Reynolds, and today we're joined by Leah Spivey, Head of Claims Runoff Solutions at Munich Re. Hi, Leah. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Uh, could you please describe your role as the Head of Claims Runoff Solutions? Okay. I have the uh, good fortune to actually lead a group of multidiscipline professionals in our result responsibility for all of our legacy liabilities. That is everything that was underwritten in the year 2001 and prior. And with that result responsibility, we have to assure the company that we understand those liabilities fully. And we also can manage toward the most optimal exit solutions possible. The multidiscipline folks that I happen to lead uh, range from claims professionals who manage all of the attendant claims to those liabilities, as well as actuaries, account executives, business analysts. And with that group, we have two separate teams that are client-focused on a group of clients that they become very intimately involved with in regard to all of the data, all of the uh, reporting that occurs, and also all of the needs of those companies in making sure that both sides of the equation, both reinsurance and insurance, all of the contract are complied with, all of the provisions in the contracts are complied with, and that's all done in a timely fashion, but also (laughs) when it's time to bring an end to those contracts and actually each go our own ways that we do that in the most professional manner possible. It's all of our own contracts. So it's all Munich Re and the old American recontracts. And they're both insurance contracts, so policies, excess policies, as well as reinsurance contracts. Okay. So you handle both direct and reinsurance. So how how does that work exactly? Do you focus more on insurance? Is it more reinsurance? What what does the split look like? The split looks like, I want to say about 10% of our legacy uh, remains with our old excess book that was written by either American Re or American Excess. And we stopped writing that back in 1983. That book of business was, was shut down at that point. So all of those uh, liabilities are prior to then. When I first started with a group, I actually was a claims professional and was responsible for a book of reinsurance, but also I was responsible for handling claims from this excess book as well. And at that time, we were involved in approximately, as a company, 150 declaratory judgment actions. Oh, wow. Um, okay. <laughs> around, <That's a> lot. <laughs> right. Well, at that time, that was 1993. And at that time, that's right. when we were really dealing as a reinsurer with first impression of a lot of the insurance litigation that had run through the system and people who had excess policies and policies that they didn't expect to cover things like asbestos and environmental. Mm-hmm. The courts decided, oh, no, 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 you really did. So those declaratory judgment actions really revolved around those issues. And at that time, there was a lot of activity in the courts to to determine whether or not the insurance companies had really planned on 
or intended, you know, to cover those liabilities. It was decided that in most cases, yes, you did intend to cover those at least through the mid 80s, and therefore you need to pay. Then the reinsurers uh, were approached by their insurance companies who said, oh, yeah, the courts told us that we had to do that. And we said, well, our treaties didn't really expect that either. So we had more litigation around that and arbitration, you know, where it was decided in the contract that that would be the forum. So there was a lot of fun activity going on in the mid 90s. That's interesting because I, you know, I, I'm aware that that happened. I read about it all the time when I do my own reinsurance work and whatnot. But I, I guess I never really thought about it, what it would be like at that time with all of these changes coming and unfavorable decisions, <laughs> you know, what side of the coin that you're on there. That's, that's a, that's a really neat perspective. Going back, you know, you mentioned you, you first started in claims. How exactly did you get where you are today? Can you just kind of walk us through your career path? Well, I'm still in claims actually. Uh, right. Where Munich replaces their runoff group is in the claim divisions, both here and also at our home office in, in Munich. And the reason why is because we're dealing with liabilities. So they felt as though that was the best fit. Originally, I think back when we were American Re, we had our runoff operations, which were very much uh, scaled down and only looking at those companies perhaps that were in liquidation, et cetera. And that was in our financial management group. So since the early 2000s, the business runoff group was in claims, first starting here in the United States and then later in Munich. They also created a group dealing with just business runoff. And the definitions thereof differ a bit between uh, ourselves and our parent, but we definitely have a concentrated group of actuaries and account executives that are dealing with that. We also have in our group the claims managers who were dealing with those liabilities as well. We talked a little bit before we started about how neither of us have kind of like a, a, a the math or finance background that I've seen more and more of in the insurance industries, particularly in runoff. You were in journalism when you were in school. <laughs> how has that helped like a humanities background? And where did you kind of start? Did you go right into insurance or did you do anything in between? Yes, I was a journalism and communication major. And my thought was to go into public relations. However, I realized in order to do that, I would have to be typing someone else's letters and, you know, really going, uh, not really having my own work product, mm -hmm. but more or less, you know, supporting someone else's. And that really rubbed me the wrong way. So Im immediately out of college, uh, I had done some work uh, in the residential system. So I worked for a social service program, which was called a job core, <laughs> which I was yeah. a counselor there. And, you know, I had taken at risk young people, I would say, and, you know, given them GEDs, trained them in a, in a particular craft or uh, occupation. And I did that for a short while, but the, the shift work wasn't really for me. I worked mm -hmm. from 3 to 11 at night and it just oh. didn't make sense in, <laughs> no. in trying to have a real life. So I, I went from there to an organization. Actually, it was uh, an accredited four-year college institution, which had been a junior college prior to that, gotten its accreditation, and it was very math-oriented. Uh, when it was a junior college, it was known for producing accountants, et cetera. However, I was in the admissions group and they treated their admissions 
department as a sales department. And I was an actual outside salesperson. So we did college fairs. We actually had kiosks in malls. We did presentations at high schools. We did a lot of that in order to get leads for these high school folks to come in and speak to are actually inside salespeople who are admissions counselors who would go through a process of uh, getting talented young people to attend the college you know, that I was doing this for. And that was a lot of fun. However, again, because it was uh, not really sitting well with my work-life balance because I was working seven days a week and might get, mm-hmm. you know, a comp day later on sometime in the year and that kind of thing. So I decided I would like to work for a company that knew something about labor laws. So I saw an ad in the paper that was for an insurance company. I said, oh, insurance is regulated. So they know something about labor laws and they probably won't make me work, you know, 30 days in a row (laughs) and uh, not giving me any compensation for that. So I saw the ad and it was an ad for an insurance claims position and I applied and I got the job and the rest is history. But (laughs) uh, the reason why I liked or was attracted to that is because I think anywhere in the insurance industry, any even entry-level job you get, most of them allow you to take a task or a project from the beginning of it to the end. And that is your work product. Whereas in many other fields, you're doing or you're assisting someone else in their work. And again, that didn't sit particularly well with me. So I wanted some sense of autonomy or independence and the insurance industry uh, allowed me to do that. And I found my friends that were underwriters, you know, had the same privilege. So have you always been with uh, Munich Re or previously American Re? Or have you been uh, at different companies? Yeah. <laughs> the list of companies I could give you is probably the who's who of who are no longer in business. I started with... <laughs> hey, started it's with, good. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably why I'm here. No. Yeah. <laughs> I started, started with Kemper and then uh, General Accident uh, in New York City, uh, The Home in New York City. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, and then American Re, who was then bought by Munich Re. So. Okay. Oh, wait, it's not as long of a list to <laughs> believe. But it is notorious. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. How do we get more young professionals involved in insurance, much less legacy? Okay. So in insurance, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not sure that I realized before I joined insurance how integral a part of our economy insurance is. Uh, insurance really does enable commerce to happen, right? No one is really going to take a risk of doing any kind of business or any kind of trade in this society especially because we are as litigious as we are without having the backing of insurance, right? I mean, we don't even Mm -hmm. try to own homes without insurance or a car or anything else. So let alone uh, do, you know, some type of business venture without that backing. So it's very, you know, it's very integral to our whole economic structure. And I don't think I realized that, you know, when I was getting out of college or anything else. I mean, most people don't read their, you know, auto insurance policy, let alone, you know, their renters a po- policy if they get it, if, if right. they're out of school. So I think that, you know, how integral a part of 
uh, society it is. It's maybe a little more known now because many colleges have risk management degrees that you can get. And there's a risk management curriculum at most schools. So you can understand that a little better. When I graduated, we did not have that. However, it, you know, insurance shouldn't only be, I, I keep saying that, for the risk management graduates. You know, oh, yourself, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and I who, you know, come from more liberal arts background, you know, are people that have a lot to add to the industry, I believe, because I think that the industry continues to need creativity. It needs a lot of energy and just different ways of doing business. And I think that it continues to be a people business. And I think that the people who have that liberal arts, you know, background and advanced degrees in in that area do continue to add a great dynamic, which allows our industry to grow in interesting and, and creative ways. Do you have any advice for young professionals out there? Obviously, the more traditional math, accounting, actuarial majors are are always sought after. These days, the big buzz is data and data analytics. Okay, so there are companies that have tried to establish themselves just on data and data analytics, and some of those are successful, others less so. There has to be a combination of disciplines. I mean, that's why I run my particular department and I've been allowed to do it in a multidiscipline fashion. I think that just looking at things through data, I mean, data has to lead us, but it cannot control us, okay? Because it's not only a data business, it's also a people business. And if you don't have that element of people who can converse with other people, get to creative solutions, okay, that go beyond the numbers, then I think we're, we're in big trouble. I, I do think that we need to in life, okay, be directed by whatever that data is telling us (laughs) about our lives. I mean, they're controlling us through data because every time we pick up the phone and do something, right, uh, we're being analyzed, you know, in regard to our data. So we need to be aware of that for ourselves, but also in whatever business we're in. I do think that we need multidisciplined people, but we also need people that can come up with the most creative solutions and be able to know what in the future, what a smart contract looks like and, you know, how we should enter the human element into what I think is going to become a very data-driven and automated process going forward. But there'll still be the need for people to speak to each other and, and try to work through a lot of these issues that insurance takes care of, right? I mean, whether it's a catastrophe of a, of a hurricane or a wildfire, whether it's dealing with these legacy liabilities, which we're talking about, right? And we talk about legacy liabilities and it's all the old stuff, but it really isn't. My team of claims professionals are now dealing with the sector misconduct claims that are coming out of the reviver statutes. Mm -hmm. We're dealing with PFAS, PFOS, and AFFF that's coming out of chemicals and chemical components that we've been creating and putting into the environment for decades. So all of that falls back oftentimes to the occurrence policies and reinsurance contracts that are decades old. So what's new, you know, is really old. Yeah, exactly. Uh, 
and we're dealing with even opioids, right? I mean, we started manufacturing, you know, Oxycontin back in the late 90s, especially in regard to the time release form of that, which Mm -hmm. gave rise to this whole opioid epidemic. Again, that's, you know, quite a while ago. You know, we're talking over 20 years. So to talk about legacy and to think of it as just what was old and what happened before, it really isn't. It's what's affecting us today. And when I first started, it was, you know, in the environmental and asbestos. Well, I started in 1993. We had not used asbestos in any material since 1979. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so it it was already you know over a decade old, and that was really the legacy then. Now the legacy is stuff that we are again dealing with today. The results of a lot of the stuff was manufactured and distributed, et cetera, et cetera, and was affecting us decades ago. So that's why. I think legacy is still so exciting because it's really not only that old stuff, it's really what we're dealing with today, but how it impacts those older insurance contracts that makes it very relevant to what we're dealing with now. Yeah. And any new piece of legislation that comes along, it, it could impact those books of business or a new mm-hmm. case or what have you. Yeah. You could be, you think something has been put to bed for years and years and years, and all of a sudden you got to dig out those policies again. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us, Leah. It's been great having you. We appreciate your time and all of your insights that you've shared with us today. And with that, I think we're going to cue the music and close this thing out. Thanks for joining us, everybody. The Next Gen Task Force is part of AROC, the only U.S.-based nonprofit association focusing on the legacy or runoff sector of the insurance and reinsurance industries. AROC serves the industry by providing education, networking, information, and data. Learn more about what we do at www.aroc.org or contact AROC's Executive Director, Carolyn Fahey, at carolyn at AROC.org. That's A-I-R-R-O-C.org. Thank you, and we'll see you next time. 